the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to Thursday, September 14th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and it is good to see Mr. Bill to my north nodding along. He's agreeing with things before I even say them is how I take that. Yes? Yeah, I like that. Prolepsis. Agreeing with prolepsis. That's what you're doing. And, of course, we have my producer, David Dahl, to my west. And we have occidentally Miss Terry to his west. All of you can weigh in at 602-508-0960, Every once in a while, we we'll have a lot of news to do today, and we'll get to it, including the, uh, the, the fact that Hunter Biden has now been indicted on three felony gun charges, I think, carrying uh, a maximum of something like 25 years in prison if, if uh, found guilty or convicted on them all. We'll, we'll get through all of that in a little bit. Every once in a while, I like to see what I was talking about uh, a year before. Sometimes I'll take a look at what monologue I etched out or scratched out the year before the broadcast of the day. And I wrote about the big lie. And uh, I said the big lie, that's what Democrats like to say Donald Trump and some Republicans stand for. It's not bigger In fact, it's legions smaller than the lies of the left and the lies told every single day by this administration. I was attracted to bringing it up again because we've been talking a lot about truth and lies this week. Um, The border is secure. The border would be more secure if Republicans weren't obstructing the Democrats. There's no settled definition of women. Men can menstruate. Men can give birth. Our country was founded in 1619. The entire country is systematically racist when it isn't being run by people who are implicitly biased. Larry Elder can be a white supremacist. Um, Dennis Prager can be a white nationalist. Donald Trump is an anti-Semite. The withdrawal from Afghanistan was an extraordinary success. Vaccines keep you from getting COVID or from getting sick or from being hospitalized or from dying. The president of the United States is in perfectly good health physically and mentally. And I haven't even begun with the lies Joe Biden tells. But each and every one of those lies is far more dangerous than a belief about an election that Donald Trump has and that Hillary Clinton and, frankly, Nancy Pelosi and Jimmy Carter continually held and still hold about the same presidential election just four years earlier when it didn't go their way. By the way, according to a poll from the Washington Post, far more Democrats believe the 2016 election was stolen than Republicans think that of 2020. So if there's a big lie, it's bigger and more bigly believed by Democrats than Republicans by a margin of about 10 percentage points. More Democrats thought Trump illegitimately elected than Republicans think Biden is. As Byron York put it, Do you remember 24-7 commentary or any commentary bemoaning the refusal of Democrats to accept the election of Trump as legitimate? Neither do I, which makes the entire moniker or monarchy of the big lies belonging to Trump and the Republicans and other, well, even 
bigger lie. Hold that issue for a moment and consider the lies of this administration from the border to Afghanistan to the economy. Each and every lie they tell us is far more monumental and consequential, going not only to our and our allies' national security, but also to our ability to be safe from things like crime, drugs, and poverty. And some, one might even say, who cares what Trump believes, but maybe there should be some concern for the facts on the ground for Americans, all of them, in their physical and economic safety and for our allies and for our enemies because of what Joe Biden does believe or says. Maybe in thinking about the consequences of lies, the furniture of Trump's mind is less important than the facts, the facts of everyday life for 330 million Americans and untold hundreds of millions of other people who don't live in America that these political lies consequences land upon. Remember when Kamala Harris told Lester Holt two years ago when he asked her why she hadn't visited our border, and she said, and I haven't been to Europe either, so what? As she chuckled. Well, she's now been to Europe several times and saying all the stupid things that she says. And has she yet gone to the border? I think it's time for another Lester Holt interview. He can now say, well, to answer the question you asked me, having gone to Europe now several times, is it yet time to go visit? the border. Um, I'm reminded a lot lately of Vaclav Havel's point in his essay about the power of the powerless who live in a tyrannical and autocratic regime. Knowing a lot about those things because he was imprisoned by him, he said the post-totalitarian system touches people at every step, but it does so with ideological gloves. This is why life in the system is so thoroughly permeated with hypocrisy and lies. Government by bureaucracy is called popular government, he said. The working class is enslaved in the name of the working class being free. The complete degradation of the individual is presented as his ultimate liberation. Depriving people of information is called informing them. The use of power to manipulate is called the public control of power. And the arbitrary abuse of power is called the observance of the legal code. The repression of culture is called its development, and the expansion of influence, imperial influence is presented as support for the oppressed. The lack of free expression becomes the highest form of freedom. Farcical elections become the highest form of democracy. And banning independent thought becomes the most scientific of worldviews. Because the regime is captive to its own lies, he said, it must falsify everything. It falsifies the past, it falsifies the present, and it falsifies the future. It falsifies statistics, it pretends not to possess an omnipotent and unprincipled police apparatus. It pretends to respect human rights, it pretends to persecute no one, it pretends to fear nothing, it pretends to pretend nothing. How accurate from 1978 in his pen is that for what we are living through today? In his book, The Image... The great historian Daniel Boorstin writes, quote, What ails us most is not what we have done with America, but what we have substituted for America. We suffer primarily not from our vices or weaknesses, but from our illusions. We're haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. He wrote that in 1965, even a decade before Vaclav Havel. How accurate a description is that for us today? 
Here's the root of it. He writes, Borston does, quote, the disproportion between what an informed citizen needs to know and what he can know is ever greater. The disproportion grows with the increase of the official's power of concealment and contrivance. The news gatherers need to select, invent, and plan correspondingly increases. So we're ever increasingly governed by what the media wants us to be moved by, by what it decides or conceals or contrives should be important to us. Tyrants may want to ban media to conceal war crimes, but what of purported non-tyrants that want to ban media to conceal facts that might otherwise demand judgments and solutions in a democracy or a republic? In other words, what happens when we completely invert the entire project of popular government where we no longer set up government by consent of the governed and the Bill of Rights becomes so radicalized and denuded that it allows those in power the legal opportunity to coerce consent? where authority here is used to control public opinion and not public opinion to control authority, as we were taught by the Pentagon Papers. Well, you know I just can't quote it enough. But speaking of lies and truth, Joe Biden lies, Abe Greenwald said, when he whispers and he lies when he shouts. The president lies about everything from his policy record to his relationship with his son to his academic credentials to how his other son died to how his house nearly burned to the ground. He's told three different lies about being arrested, in one for civil rights, in another for trying to see Nelson Mandela, and yet another for sneaking into a dorm. Lying for Joe Biden is his default mode of public rhetoric. He lies about where he was the day after 9-11. And the CDC has lied and lied about masks and vaccines. And even the New York Times said Anthony Fauci lied about herd immunity. But we still listen to them, don't we? For some reason, we feel we need to take them seriously. Or, I know, you're about to say, who do you mean by we, Kimosabe? Well, I don't mean you and I. I mean too much of us, though. I guess I guess what I want to say is I never want to hear about the big lie again being applied to the Republican Party. The left... And the Democrats broadcast more untruths in a day and a far more consequence. Life and liberty are those consequences, and so too is the whole notion and definition of truth. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Do we have too much Jimmy Buffett right now? Probably there might be a lot because yeah. of uh, last. Yeah, Monday let's or get Tuesday. let's let's replace it with some of the older, better stuff. Not all of it. I mean, use your judgment. But uh, I'm open to suggestions. Well, we have uh, five thousand suggestions from the previous uh, yeah. series. Just go with that stuff. Okay. But keep a couple. I mean, you know, keep a couple. Let's just not totally saturate it with Jimmy Buffett uh, music, if you don't mind. Um, Washington Post headline, Hunter Biden indicted on false statement gun charges in Delaware. This is it's funny. I love, I love reading how they do these things. Here's the Washington Post's opening sentence. Biden, uh, excuse me, President Biden's son, Hunter, was indicted Thursday for allegedly making false statements and illegally possessing a handgun, setting the stage for a possible criminal trial for the younger Biden in 2024 while his father campaigns for re-election. Do you see a problem with that? A little bit of bias, a little finger on the scale there? President Biden's son, Hunter, was indicted Thursday for allegedly making false statements. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He wasn't indicted for allegedly making false statements. He was indicted for making false statements. 
The indictment is the allegation. He wasn't indicted for allegedly doing it. He was indicted for doing it. It is the purpose of either a a confession, a trial, or a plea agreement to find out whether he actually did it or not. You're not indicted for allegedly making false statements. That is what an indictment is. It is the allegation, which is where the word allegedly comes from. They try and soften it just as much as they can. Man, it works it works. That's why they do it, I suppose. That's that's why people advertise. Advertising works, obviously, and that's why the Washington Post does it, because their propaganda works. Oh, well, he was indicted for allegedly making No, 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 no. The indictment is the allegation. It can be proven or disproven in court, as I say, or by a plea agreement or by some kind of uh, trial. Um, A second Hunter, excuse me, a separate Hunter Biden indictment on tax charges is also possible, though the timing was unclear, according to people familiar with the matter. Thursday's indictment marks another tremor in what has already been a tumultuous 2024 presidential campaign. The current frontrunner for the GOP nomination, Donald Trump, is facing four. Right. Cannot do a straight story here. Cannot do a straight story. On, Joe, on Hunter Biden's indictment of three felonies. You have to, by the second paragraph, add that Donald Trump is also facing four indictments. And by the way, four being bigger than three, why the temptation is oh so great, right? It's, this is not a, you can't do the story straight here. By the way, look for the next story on Donald Trump's indictments or trials and see if they say Hunter Biden is also facing. They won't. No, they won't. They won't do that. They won't do it. And then the next paragraph, this story about Trump. Polls indicate Trump's lead over his Republican rivals has only grown with his indictments. This is a story. It's about this indict three chart, three count indictment against Hunter Biden and the stories about Donald Trump. Really, really quite amazing what they do here. It's amazing how much they used to say it's because he lives in their head. That's not it. It's not that he lives in their head. It's that we live in their head. It's that Republicans, they cannot get over the fact that Republicans still support this guy because they can't get out of their head that there might be something untoward, unconstitutional, or even unfair um, about the indictments against Donald Trump, A. But B, more importantly than A, is they want Democrats to win. They got the memo, so to speak. We don't have—they got the memo— Used to be, you know, used to be a, a, st- a statement about virtuality. It, it, it's now literal. It didn't used to, it doesn't need to be figurative anymore because yesterday the White House Counsel's Office sent the memo, literally sent the memo. The media got the memo physically, specifically, as Joe Biden would say, literally. The only difference is he usually misuses the word, and it now truly is literally. The media got the memo. And this is how this is how they do it. Really quite incredible. Um, it's important that we point these things out because it's important that you know what the people you're going to be discussing and debating and arguing with know. It's important that you know going in how tilted their worldview is. I'm not asking you to say, let's have a debate about Hunter Biden and the Washington Post saying he was indicted over alleged false statements. Let, that's, that's, you know, that's more our job here. 
and it's not going to win anyone over to say, well, look at how the Washington Post does it. But I give it to you because this is how the Washington Post does shape the brains of those you're going into. You have to know how low a level of information they are coming to these discussions with. I don't like the phrase, and I forgot who invented it, low information voter. And it might have been even a Republican and it might have even been a Republican consultant from the 80s, the low-information voter. I don't like it. But it does apply, and it applies to people who read, believe it or not, the Washington Post and get their news exclusively. It's an odd thing to say, but it's true. If all you do is read the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN, if that's all you watch, you're low-information. I'm sorry to tell you, but you are. Because they have sifted every news story through such a filter of bias, if not propaganda, we'll give it to them as bias, that you are going to be uninformed if that is your entire basis of information. I am old enough to remember, I don't know, David, if this was true of you when you were in college, but I'm old enough to remember, um, I mean, it was developed long after I was in college, so it didn't matter, but when I was helping students which I still do, but when I was helping students years ago with papers and application essays, but mostly research papers and stuff, they were told they couldn't cite to Wikipedia as a source. Remember remember the days when, when, when it was frowned upon that you needed something more than Wikipedia? And my point about Wikipedia is, well, you can use it to follow their links and chase down the links or the hyperlinks or the footnotes that they use and then see if that primary source works itself out as a good primary source or not. But I remember when we were told you couldn't use Wikipedia as a source. Um, If I ran a college, I would tell you you can't use the Washington Post as a source. It's just an amazing thing that we've come to at this point, an amazing thing we've come to, where these mainstream papers that view themselves as guardians of news, as guardians of the culture, as guardians of what we need to know, have become so untrustworthy. But that is what they have become, and they seem to be totally satisfied with it. They seem to be totally satisfied with it because it's not truth they care about. It's not democracy they care about. It's not all the news that's fit to print they care about. It's one single, solitary other thing. And it's an ideological end. That's what they care about. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You know, there's this issue that's been begging to be talked about as it's been getting closer and closer, and it has come. It's actually been with us for a while now, and that's the issue of student loans and student loan repayments and all of that. There are no two greater experts on that issue than the two gentlemen I have with me now. One in studio, Lane uh, Schoenberger. He is the chief investment officer and managing partner at Y-Refi, about whom you hear me speak greatly. And the other is Jack Wallace, who is the director of government and lender relations at Y-Refi. Lane, welcome to the studio. And Jack, uh, welcome to my phone line. Thank you. Well, thanks, Seth. Nice to be with you. I'm actually in Washington, D.C. as we speak. Oh, what are you doing in D.C.? 
Well, uh, you know what? I sh- I was out. told in law school when you run into someone in court, you shouldn't say, "What are you doing here?" Maybe I shouldn't ask you what you're doing in DC. <laughs> well, I, I was uh, I actually had a meeting this morning with the chief operating officer of the okay. U.S. Department of Education. Oh wow! Okay, to good. see what he's going to be doing, good. and then I went up and visited. Uh, uh, Congressman Schweikert and oh, some of our other members. Oh, there. well, all, all good friends. Well, he's a good friend, and I hope uh, yeah, you will get guy. a good fr- good meeting out of the D- Department of Education. Lane, let me start with you. Uh, talk to us just at a basic upfront level about what the—I think it's a bit of a crisis, uh, you know, when debt out there uh, for student loans is approaching $2 trillion. Talk to me about the, the student loan issue as you see it, first as a— policy issue and then as a financial issue? Well, well, you know, from a policy issue standpoint, you're right. It's, it's a massive problem with $1.8 trillion and growing very quickly. Uh, the, the politicians are not going to address the matter effectively. Uh, and, and Jack is probably the better person to talk about from a policy perspective. Okay. Uh, from, from a financial perspective, you know, student loan debt is passing credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's expected it's, it, might, it may pass uh, uh, housing debt, uh, mortgage debt. Uh, and these borrowers are just getting crushed right now. Uh, you know, we work only on the private student loan side. Uh, however, on the federal side, there's, and again, Jack can talk more about that side. The, on the private side, most private student loans are variable interest rate loans. So these borrowers are just getting de- just decimated right now. Their, their payments have been going up consistently since, uh, you know, 20, late 2021, as soon as they started raising the interest rates. And, you know, those rates reset depending on the lender monthly, quarterly, semi-annually or annually. So, you know, every quarter, semi-annual, and then we're, you know, we're about to come up to the end of a quarter. People are going to get just crushed again because they just had another rate increase not too long back. Yeah. Then we're going to hit the end of the year and any other rate increases are going to hit. And, and those, those uh, loans that are on an annual reset are going to just get destroyed. Um, and, and, you know, Seth, here's what's crazy is when we started the company in January 2017, the verifiable distressed student loan market was $21 billion large. Okay? We knew who those, where those uh, borrowers were from a lender servicer standpoint. In the last 16 months, that market has probably gone to about $45 billion. From 21 to 45. From 21 to 45. And B with a, a billion with a B. Billion with a B. And, and so, you know, it's just it's crushing people. And that's where we step in and do what we do. I want to talk about that and um, get to it in just a moment. But first, uh, just uh, with Jack on the line. Jack, is there anything you want to add to what Lane said about the policy, public policy of it all? Well, the policy needs to be changed. The program needs to be changed. And, you know, in two weeks from now, Seth, 36 million people are going to have to make a student loan payment for the first time ever or for the first time in three and a half years. So the impact is not only with those people in their cash flows, but what does that do to the economy? And you got 4 million people of that 36 million that are going to be making not only a federal loan payment, but a private loan yeah. payment. So two payments come October. I, and I want to talk to you both about the distinction between the two because people hear college student loans that can mean a, a lot of different things. And I'm guessing that's an interesting point, Jack, because people have been on a holiday, if you will, from paying those, uh, shall we say, debts that are pretty serious. When, when, when the government or these private loan lenders want their money back, it's it's – there are collections that are attached to this or collection calls. 
what kinds of average payments are people going to... It's going to be hundreds of dollars that they're not used to paying every month, right? Right, Jack? Yeah, but what we're looking at, the latest numbers that I've seen over the last couple of weeks, for somebody with an undergraduate loan from the federal government, they're going to be looking uh, at a standard repayment model of 245 to $275. If they don't go into one of the income contingent repayment programs that have been around or the new one that Biden announced when the Supreme Court ruled on June 30th, 6-3, that the forgiveness program uh, was unconstitutional. All right, let me so take you, the break. Let me take a quick commercial break. This was a short segment. We have a longer one coming up. I just, that lays a nice groundwork. Lane Schoenberger is my guest, along with Jack Wallace, both from Y Refi. Um, do I need to give the website out? People hear it all the time. InvestYRefi.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Lane Schoenberger is my guest, along with Jack Wallace, both from Y-Refi, and we're talking about the college uh, student loan and college student debt crisis. Uh, Lane is the chief investment officer and managing partner at Y-Refi, and Jack is their director of government and lender uh, relations. Lane, we were just talking on the break, and I was wondering if you share with the audience, people don't really have a grasp of how big a tsunami is coming. Oh, yeah. Well, well the tsunami is – the first one already happened. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, <laughs> it's the aftershock. And, and you got to remember, for both, both uh, private and federal student loans are bankruptcy protected. So these borrowers, they don't have an option. Right. All right? Once you go down yeah, that push slippery button, slope, right. there's no way back out unless you have a big pile of cash. And while well, they don't or they wouldn't be in the situation they're in, right? So – we, you know, the situation was these these interest rates started to increase. We saw a, a huge wave of people in Q4 of 2022 uh, happen. Q1 in our in our world, Q1 of uh, 23 actually outdid Q4. Q2 outdid Q1, and right now Q3 is likely going to outdo Q1 and 2 combined. Okay. And and you know, marked by days like yesterday. Uh, you know, and and what I mean by that is. We had our highest call volume, and we had a, a record day on new full applications for borrowers looking for help. That tells you people need help. Yeah, it's nearly a million dollars in one day. No kidding. And we will, we will cross the million-dollar threshold in, in the next 30 days. Wow. These, these borrowers are just desperately seeking a solution, so they're calling. And we've seen a new trend, interestingly, Seth, and that is borrowers that are not in distress – calling looking for help they have good credit and they have nowhere to turn right so they're calling and they're saying hey can you refinance my loan the answer is no we only work with distressed private student loans no we cannot and they, they share well my you know I'm, I'm in good shape i'm not delinquent my credit is you know 750 plus and my interest rate on my loan is 16 17 18 percent holy well it won't be long before they're going to be calling us back because yeah. they will be in distress and, and if they be. have federal loans the next tsunami to answer your question the next tsunami is coming in our estimation It'll be another small one here at the end of this quarter, rolling into uh, Q4. The next big reset is going to be at January, we'll call it December 31. All those student loan payments are going to go into uh, repayment on the federal side in October. So you got a quarter of those, okay, one, you know, one, the fourth uh, quarter. And then you're going to roll right into the Q1 of 2024. And these people are getting, you know, payments that they didn't, like Jack said, they weren't making them for how many uh, years or months, or it might be their first time ever making them. And their private student loan, they're just, they can't do it. Jack, what would you add to that, if anything? Well, they're going to have to find a solution because there's no forbearance coming. Right. In my words, the wisdom to your audience is like yours, Seth, is three. Be prepared, be proactive, and be patient. Okay. 
uh, be prepared by, you know, going to the Department of Education's website, www.studentaid.gov, and updating your information for your phone number, your email address, your mailing address. And then while you're there, if you're entitled to be part of one of these income contingent repayment programs that uh, the department offers, sign up for the program and, um, you know, get a lower monthly payment on the federal side. Now, to get to Lane's point on the private side with, you know, about half of the population that have private loans are floating rate like Lane described. If your credit is better today than it was when you took out that loan, even though interest rates have risen over the course of the last 15 or 16 months, uh, there's still the opportunity to get a fixed rate loan and uh, at least stop the hemorrhaging and get a lower rate than what you're getting on a floating rate basis. Good. Okay, got it. Now, Lane, talk to us about the segue as to all of that, putting all of that together with what Y-Refi does and what people expect or can expect when they call Y-Refi, what it is you guys do. Absolutely. So from a borrower perspective, we're, you know, we, we put them through an underwriting process, right? We need to know that these borrowers have the willingness and ability to pay us back. So we do have them escrow a, a payment equal to what they would be paying us if we approved their loan. Uh, process, like I said, is pretty thorough. About 70% of these borrowers come with a co-borrower. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, oh, someone right. has signed on the dotted line with the borrower. It's typically a family member. And by the way, in, in, and if you listen to our borrower testimonials, you'll, you'll see these things are tearing families apart. Yep. Okay. Yep. So the, the, both of them go through the underwriting process. And, and during that time, we're working with the existing lender, servicer, collection agency, law firm. We, we ultimately do settle the debt and pay it off at a discount and refinance it to the borrower. Uh, and here's the difference, though. We give that borrower a low fixed interest rate with a custom term built around their ability to pay Okay, so the borrower's actually been able to make that a payment. Well, that's what we do with our investor capital. So that's that's what you are, are talking about on the radio is, you know, we, we raise our capital through accredited investors that are looking for a good fixed return, a healthy, exceptional fixed return. We calculate interest on a monthly basis and make monthly payments of interest only. And investors have a lot of flexibility in what they can and, and, and want to do with that. Uh, they can invest through qualified accounts, so IRAs, non-qualified accounts, individual trust, joint, however they choose to invest. Um, and, and again, they're fixed interest rates, so you know exactly what it's going to do. So to your point is you go to our website, investyrefi.com. You can play with the investment simulator, listen to some of those borrower testimonials and, and hear how they're doing. And at the end of the day, Seth, the borrowers are doing phenomenal. Yeah. I was just putting out a, a, a newsletter. I was typing it up earlier today to go to our existing investors. Uh, you know, and our default rate is ridiculously low. Yeah. These people are doing amazing. We're That's, very proud of our borrowers. Well, I, I can talk to you about your investors, too. I know one whose name the entire audience would know who says he's doing well as an investor <laughs> with you. Uh, <laughs> Jack, would you uh, want to add anything to what Lane just said? Well, what I'd like to uh, offer up is a little secret that was in the CARES Act mm. that most people don't know about, okay. and that is that there's a provision in the CARES Act that permits you to pay back your student loan with pre-tax dollars of $5,250 okay. for tax years 23, 24, and 25. So people in your uh, listening audience says that do have a job to go to the Human Resource Department tomorrow and find out if they're offering that corporate benefit. And if they don't offer it right now, Make sure they sign up for it. It's contained in the IRS Section 127 of the code 
but it was in the CARES Act, and paying back with pre-tax dollars is a lot better than paying, you know, with net dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lane, just as a policy issue, irrespective, well, maybe you can't make it irrespective, but as a policy issue, the debate of should these loans ever be dischargeable in bankruptcy, is that a good idea or a bad idea? It comes up every few months. You know, we're not a fan of the idea of discharging in bankruptcy and, and you know, we get asked that question by potential investors all the time, and, and the real the real question that's being asked is, what are you doing to protect the investors in the event? Because, you know, Congress, they can do kind of whatever they want, right? Um, so, you know, we keep a, a high co-borrower rate. We keep our average balance low. We underwrite these people. We make sure that they can afford that payment comfortably. Uh, we have all of our, our uh, documentation to, to allow us to manage these these borrowers, because even if they did take away the bankruptcy provisions, these borrowers have already been down this path, yeah, that's right? right? Yeah. So we, they don't want to go back down the path of having destroyed credit, because that's what bankruptcy does. It will ruin your credit again. They've already yeah. been there, done that, yeah. right? So we've given them a, a nice way to get back into the good standing and, and live a responsible life and pay their loan off with dignity. And, and with that, they love that. Okay, now, the other side of that, just to put a, a, a lock on this one, the federal portfolio of student loans is one of the largest, and Jack, you can verify or not if it's the actual largest, but I think it's one of the largest assets that the federal government has. Yeah. If you think for a hot minute that the government yeah. is going to remove the bank pro- <laughs> bankruptcy protections and watch that portfolio disappear, it isn't going to happen. This government seems to like indentured servitude. Good conversation. Jack, thank you. And Lane, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for the investors. Thanks for what you're doing for the students. Thanks for what you're doing for the community. Thank you. InvestYRefi.com. Lane, do you remember that song? Oh, gosh. For coming in. You remember that one? Lane Lane is hanging around for a second. It's it's good to have him. I love that. I love that song. That was the Coke commercial. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Right? It was that the Coke commercial, and it was so popular that um, it was written by Paul Williams, who wrote so many great songs, and it was so popular it became um, a song for the new Seekers, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing. It's one of the few examples of a commercial actually being so popular it became a commercial hit <laughs> rather than the other way around. Folks, uh, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 508 Zero nine six zero six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. It's one of the reasons I love why refi is they're in the business of helping young adults. We have a young adult crisis on a lot of levels. Financial is not to be overlooked. I was doing a podcast earlier with my friend um, and uh, now partner Steve Moak, uh, Steve Moak Jr., and we were just talking about uh, the problems, uh, all kinds of problems with young adults. Check out his podcast to the unlicensed counselor, and I am told that we have a devoted listener named Don, who we want to do a shout-out to as well. Hope you're driving uh, home safely, uh, or to work safely, Don, whatever your hours are. You never know. You never know. I started off doing radio in Washington, D.C., 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, and uh, when we started that, it was a national show. I was doing it with Bill Bennett, and we asked uh, a couple experts on, uh, I guess they would have been some form of sociology experts people that just understood or maybe uh, ethnography experts. Are are people on the West Coast up at what would be 3 a.m. their time? And uh, what we learned was about half the country wakes up before 6 in the morning. Do you know that, Lane? Half the country wakes up before 6 in the morning. Five, I get it. You're a fiver. You can call me. You can call me. I'm an hour up before you. Are you really? Yeah, my dog doesn't let me 
sleep in and knows no distinction between Saturday and Monday. My dog does the same. At yeah. Five. Well, well, let's put them together. Uh, uh, maybe I'll teach up. your dog a lesson by having my dog wake yours up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point, the point being, it's an industrious country. It's a country that wants to be industrious. And of course, people are often at work at those hours too, telecommuting and all kinds of things. But it's a country that wants to work. And it's a sad, sad thing that we have a government that doesn't encourage it and suppresses it and put stumbling blocks in the way of it. You unleash the desired natural talents of this country and its country men, its country folk, and there's no limit to the heights we can reach. That's probably 70% of the answer. The other 30% of it, though, is also that a lot of people have, and I'm going to talk to someone, a guest later in the show about this, a lot of people have kind of self-withdrawn too, and don't want to participate by dint of their own emotional, psychological, and sometimes just stupid political, ideological views that they don't think they have to. Maybe that's a government problem, too. Anyway, just some thoughts off the top of my head. 602-5089-60. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 